0: Hey there, Dave Quanick here, creator of Fruit Bowl. Did you know that Fruit Bowl is produced independently by yours truly, without any financial sponsors, advertising revenue, or production support? The only consistent financial source I have for Fruit Bowl comes from my wonderful Patreon community. Currently 18 lovely people who, together, contribute $83 per month, And while this is not near enough to cover Fruit Bowl's production and post-production expenses, I like to find targeted opportunities to invest my patrons' donations to get the most bang for their bucks, so to speak. Right now I'm excited because I'm using the accumulated Patreon funds from the last few months to transcribe all of the interviews that have been featured in Season 1. Not only will these transcripts provide the deaf and hard of hearing community access to the interview content, it will also help me build a database so I can edit episodes that cut together different interviews and are centered around a single theme, like first times and first loves, or common experiences like a collection of best moves. Finally, these transcripts will help me start to craft the Fruit Bowl documentary series or feature film. This is just one example of how big an impact $5 a month can make. So come be a part of Fruitball's Patreon community. And thanks to Morris and Daryl for becoming my 17th and 18th patrons just this week. If you'd like to learn more about how to become a patron, go to fruitballpodcastcom slash donate. Okay, that's it from me. And now, here's Patrick. Hey
1: parked at the bridge and I drove up there and he was waiting there. It was like super foggy There's there was like this one little street light on the bridge. It was like very dark and mysterious looking. And so he opened up the back of his truck and he had a bed in there.
2: This is Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex.
1: My name is Patrick and I'm 32 years
2: old. This interview was recorded in July of 2019 in San Francisco.
1: I grew up in a small Southern California town of Ojai. Um, it's about an hour and a half north of LA. And so my mom inherited some money from her father and bought this little piece of land, which was like a defunct citrus orchard. And so I grew up in the middle of an orchard in a trailer. Um, so we didn't have a house for a long time. It was just a trailer. And a horse trough to take baths in outside or the water was heated up on the stove, you know, if we wanted hot water. Yeah, my mom was a total hippie for sure. My parents got divorced when I was pretty young, so it was uh, my mom and I from probably about the age of four until I left for college. My sister is 14 years older than I am, so she was there on and off, but... She escaped to L.A. pretty soon to, like, pursue acting and modeling. I think when she was probably way too young. <laughs> I don't know her age exactly when she did that, but... Yeah. Yeah. And she said she knew I was gay from when I was, like, five years old or something, you know. And she kept asking my mom, has has he told you yet? <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> did you like Ohio? Yeah, I did. I mean, I think in retrospect, I like it more because I understand how lucky I was to be there. Like it's so different and so unique and it's like geography and nature. It's just these mountains that are right there next to you mm-hmm. and, uh, just the quiet and the stars and everything. And you, I go back there and just see it in a different way. Having lived in a city and all these other places, you know, it's just a different reality.
0: And would you say Ohio was, was open to queer people like,
1: um, it was interesting because it was split between, like, farm workers and artists and people from Hollywood, but there was no real queer or gay presence there, so I didn't, I didn't even, like, know that was a reality, you know, and so I felt kind of alone in that when I was realizing that whole thing. Yeah, so we were, we were on the east end of Ohio, which was, like, cowboys and farmers and stuff, and it was, like, this all different different world out there and you didn't really leave um so it was kind of a more right-wing religious culture out there just based on what people were doing and so that was kind of the reality I was in growing up even though the artists and the Hollywood people were like probably two miles away like I just didn't go down there okay um as a kid you know couldn't drive
0: so couldn't walk there was your mom accepting of queer identity was did it ever come up um it didn't come up
1: unless it was related to the AIDS epidemic which was happening when i was growing up and so everything related to being gay it was like this scary kind of death sentence concept for her and so i think when i finally did come out to her she just was afraid more than anything and it took her a long time to come to grips with that you know it wasn't like a religious thing or like Anything against gay people in general was just all the stigma attached to it from that period of time. I was trying to remember where I first learned about the concept of sex. I had this friend of mine named Lucy and she had misinterpreted what her parents were telling her and she thought that a penny goes in the vagina. And so she was doing that, apparently, and she was telling me about it. So she was, like, stuffing pennies into herself, you know. And then I was telling my mom about that, and she's like, well, not exactly. And then she pointed the direction of the book. It was like a teach your kids about sex book without actually talking to them kind of thing. And it was a picture book, and it had a male and female couple, and they were like romantic and then they like got undressed and it went through all the stages of everything and the guy was just like a a normal looking guy like almost a bear in a way he was really hairy and he was balding on top and he had like a nice dick too so that's that's kind of where I first like realized I was looking at him more than her you know but it was this book, and I, I can't remember what it was called, but it's just one of those things where if you're a parent that's uncomfortable about talking to your kid, you just give them this book. She's just the kind of person that doesn't really talk about sex in general, I think, so it just wasn't something she wanted to talk about with me. I mean, I only wish that she, if she sensed that I was gay, and even after I told her I was, that she had just presented me with a reality of that existing anywhere else, because she didn't really ever, like talk about the larger picture to me. Mm. I just always, like, knew it was scary for her, but not why, you know? Mm. I only, like, realized later it was because of the time period and what was going on, you know? We were kind of, like, Luddites growing up. Like, we, I mean, the hippie thing I mentioned, we had a trailer, so we didn't have, like, great Internet connection or anything, and I only came to the Internet later, Um, so I was kind of out of the Internet loop for a long time. Um, growing up and we had a computer, but it was just not worth even like looking into,
0: you know? And, and no one at school mentioned queer or gay or?
1: No, like the first time I actually heard it was somebody calling me that, um, you know, typically like in the locker room, I was like looking at some, some guys like a little too long and they're like, stop looking at me fag or something like that, you know? (laughs) And I d- well, I didn't know what that was, so it wasn't offensive to me, you know? And then I just, like, looked that up, and I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it was, like, third grade or something like that. Um, and there was this thing called the Crow's Nest, which was uh, an old ship um built into the playground and it had like a tower you could climb and sort of sit in this little like where they would hang the sail from at the top so it was like private (laughs) had a little wall around at the top so you could climb up there and I remember this friend and I um went up there and just like basically like looked at each other's dicks and like sort of touch each other a little bit but like didn't really do much more than that but that was like my first like man-on-man man experience in third grade. <laughs> I went back there later, and it was, like, not at all private. Like, I thought it was way more secluded. <laughs> Probably everybody saw what was going on. You know, as a kid, I had a lot of sleepovers, and a lot of the sleepovers were, like, kind of camp because we were li- living such a rural lifestyle. And so we would be outside, and it would be, like, totally dark, and I'd just be hanging out with friends and we'd be, like, getting close and, like, sort of rubbing up against each other accidentally. And then it would kind of evolve into a little more sometimes if we were, like, getting drunk as way too young kids, you know? Um, so that happened a few times. But it wasn't anything serious. It was just, like, more, like, definitely hard-ons versus the crow's nest, which was just, like, you have a dick, I have a dick. Hey, cool. (laughs) Um... But yeah, it was like hard-ons and maybe like sort of jacking each other off, but not really. Yeah, that's that's basically like the early stuff. And then after that, I did have the internet, finally. And I used Craigslist to uh, find somebody who was a good deal older than me, actually. Somebody that already had the ad up, and I just responded to it. Yeah, so I contacted this guy on Craigslist and he said he would meet me at this bridge. This was, like, before cell phones, obviously. So he parked at the bridge, and I drove up there, and he was waiting there. It was, like, super foggy. And there was, like, this one little street light on the bridge. It was, like, very dark and mysterious looking. And uh, he was this guy with, like, a a mustache and a pretty, like, beefy frame. I didn't really know what he looked like. From his ad, he just said he was like um, a guy who wanted to fool around. You know, I didn't, I wasn't too picky. He just happened to be close by. You know, and he also looked like this porn star too. That I was. uh, His name is Buster. He's like this really happy guy. Like when he's getting fucked, he's like smiling and laughing, which is rare. (laughs) But he has this big thick mustache and a sort of shaved head and stuff. And so he opened up the back of his truck and he had a bed in there and I fucked him and it was pretty quick. Cause I was like, obviously waiting for that for a long time. So I like came like ready to go, you know? And so I just did that and uh, left pretty quick afterwards. And I felt really sweaty and gross and like afraid, you know, like it was just a totally different experience than I'd ever had. So
0: so he came equipped with a mattress in the back of his van. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get the sense that he'd done this kind of thing before? Yeah, I think so.
1: And I, yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know if he was like intentionally seeking out people that were younger, but, um, it's possible. Yeah. I got the feeling for sure that he was like maybe a married guy and, um, This definitely wasn't something that he did outside of the vehicle, you know? Like, that was his space to do this stuff. And he was just kind of inviting me in that one night.
0: Did you have any kind of conversation with him? Not
1: much. It was, like, very dark, and the lights in the van were not very bright. So I, like, didn't really see his face much either. Like, I don't have, like, clear, like, well-lit memories of the situation. It was just more, like, feelings, you know? And smells, <laughs> and like I don't know what kind of coal, like cologne or deodorant he was wearing, but I can like viscerally like remember that like whenever I smell it, whatever it is, it's just like that is the smell. You know? Yeah. And I want to say like patchouli or something weird like that, but it was definitely like a very particular thing. So yeah, we didn't talk too much. It was more just like, "What do you want to do?" Okay, here you go. Kind of very direct. <laughs> So, and he was very clear about what role he was going to be? We had a conversation about it, but I felt more comfortable being the top at that point, I guess. Yeah, and I think he actually, like, wanted to do more. Like, maybe he wanted to fuck me too, but I was, like, sort of weirded out, like, after, right after, like, I came. Like, you just like kind of experienced a different mental space, like, after that happens anyway, but I was just, like, kind of realizing the situation, and then I was like, okay, I just want to go home now, you know? Mm -hmm. So I feel like he was maybe a little bit unfulfilled, but Mm. he definitely liked getting fucked while it was happening. It was confusing and different, but I really, I mean, I had fun. And the guy was just happened to be exactly the type of person that I kind of realized I liked, so... It was a happy accident. I'd never seen him before that and I didn't see him after that. Um and Ohio was a weird town because um it was very rural, so you could just live somewhere and nobody would ever see you unless you left. It wasn't like a neighborhood or something, you know. So you could just have your private area and stay there. And we I did growing up, I was just like in this own our own little reality out there, you know. It was, like, senior year. My first boyfriend, we had fooled around a little bit more, and I would like, topped and bottomed. I think having bottomed, I understood how you should top as well, you know? Like, I think with Van Guy, I was probably just, like, jamming it in there, you know, and not thinking about him at all. After I kind of understood what it felt like to be on the other end of that, like, I got better at giving it. And we kept going for about a year. I was like the first boyfriend I had. And then he introduced me to some of his friends. And one of his friends was really cute. He was like this scruffy little guy. I made friends with him. And then unrelated, this first guy I was dating and I broke up. And then maybe like six months after that, I started hanging out with his friend. Yeah, we were still like both pretty young and... I think this was only maybe the third gay person I had ever met, you know, like that's how isolated it was out there, you know, and so I think probably a big part of it was just the
0: fact that we were both close by. Do you remember the first time you guys hooked up?
1: Uh, yeah, I think it was on the edge of a hot tub, <laughs> uh, which was also outside. He was watching somebody's cat's. Um, and they were out of town, so we had the whole house to ourselves, which is unusual for when you're a kid to have anywhere to yourself, you know? So we had this entire area just, you know, alone, and we uh, started making out in the hot tub, and then I fucked him against the hot tub. That was the first time I fucked somebody since man guy. Went on for about three years, and I uh, just really, yeah, I, I liked somebody for the first time in a different way
0: how would you compare the sex with the van guy to the person with whom you were in love?
1: Um, it took me a while to get over van guy. It was like my first experience. So it was like hard to compare, like it's just the feelings of it and everything were just so wild and strange that everything else kind of seemed a little bit less than, but the sex that me and this guy I was in love with had was really good. And, He was adventurous in the way that I am, where we would kind of like go camping and go outside and stuff, and like do things in somewhat public locations. Yeah, as high schoolers, (laughs) because he grew up in kind of the same atmosphere I did, so he like understood that that was like more the lifestyle than being inside all the time. Mm -hmm. I've always enjoyed having sex in places that are not a bedroom. I I rarely have sex in a bed. (laughs) There's something kind of like. Clinical about a bedroom, and also like the idea that it's set up for a certain thing that I don't like. Like the spontaneity of like doing something somewhere where maybe you're not supposed to be doing it, or you have to like figure out a way to put yourself in the landscape to make it work.
0: What's your preferred venue? Uh, the f- woods. Where around here are there woods? Uh, I mean, you just have to camp. Um, I
1: mean, it's kind of a drive from here, but there are places like in. You know, Richmond on the coast that are just like heavily wooded areas. You can like go with a friend or you can find somebody with a yard, like a big backyard or something. That's been my struggle here because living in upstate New York, it was all woods. So you could literally just go five minutes out of town and you'd be like in the middle of nowhere. You could just do whatever you want. But yeah, something about just being outside itself turns me on, like even if there's nobody else there. So if you have somebody else, it's just a bonus. I was going to school at uh, CalArts up above LA and I met this guy on Bear411 and he said, oh yeah, come to my place in Whittier. This is right after I got a cell phone for the first time. So I brought my cell phone, which I didn't really know how to use very well. And I was texting him on the way, and he said, oh, you just have to wait a second because my sister is in the house, and she's going to leave soon, so just, like, wait a little while. And so I um, kept texting him, and he, like, wasn't responding, and then finally he said, okay, come in. It's fine now. And so I came in there, and we got down to fucking, and as soon as I was, like, about to finish he said like oh there's a noise in the other room and somebody was coming home and so he forced me to climb out of his window it was far enough that i had to balance on some garbage cans to get away yeah it was very precarious like i was hanging out of the window and then dropping down so it was maybe like one and a half or two stories yeah onto some garbage cans and like basically run away and i left one of my shoes there So I was with one shoe running out of this guy's house in Whittier, California in the middle of the night. And for a long time, you know, I had that one shoe sitting around, so I always, like, thought of that experience. Like, the shoe was just, like, sort of taunting me. (laughs) But it felt really shameful because I think I realized when I was leaving that it probably wasn't his sister. You know, it was somebody else, (laughs) like, wife. (laughs) I think, in general, just that I can be really spontaneous and, like, I'm down to do it anywhere, you know, and so I do like to do that, like, just being ready and ready to go and, like, going on a hike with somebody and just, like, fucking really quickly in the bushes and then keep hiking, you know, <laughs> I I like it all, I mean, I'm really versatile, so just uh, spont- spontaneity, I guess, Yeah, mm-hmm. and being able to do it outside and bringing people places to do it outside,
0: you yeah. know. If 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 you could maybe choose a favorite place you've ever done it outside, what would be the top? On top of a waterfall in the Catskills. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that sounds cool.
1: Yeah, it was like a park that was kind of um, temporarily, like for trail maintenance or whatever, and we didn't realize that, so we kind of like cut this corner on the trail, and then the trail looked really weird, so we hiked down. It was like not only a waterfall, but like a probably 50 foot waterfall looking out like into the entire Catskill Valley so it was like very open but there was no other trails around there so you're just like oh this is pretty crazy.
0: (laughs) Have you ever been like caught?
1: No I've gotten like close um where people were kind of nearby but nobody I don't think has seen anything (laughs) (laughs) yeah who knows though I'm, like, on Growler just for the reason of marketing the gay stuff that I do, which is, like, art and filmmaking and things like that. But I don't really use it for hooking up. I find it kind of strange and impersonal. So I try to always just find people through, like, mutual friends that I already know. You know, it's always somebody that I'm familiar with already. And I really am about, like, knowing a person. That's kind of part of what turns me on about it. So, yeah, I think the dating apps have made people isolated in a way and not as social. So I hope that uh, one day we can return to just, like, cruising again. (laughs) There are situations like bear runs and events in the woods and places where there's no cell phone reception, and then it kind of returns back to that primordial cruise situation. (laughs) I really appreciate that. It feels... More natural.
0: Have you ever cruised somebody like just randomly? Uh, oh yeah. Do you still do that? Sometimes, yeah. I mean,
1: I don't, I don't go to cruising spots, but like, I've, I've been at like a party or something, and just ha- had like kind of made eyes with somebody across the room, and then we ended up like going home together, you know, without any intermediary of like an app or anything. The whole process of like unwrapping. The thing is, like, part of the appeal. Like, you don't get the dick first. Like, you're like, oh,
0: who is this person? Well, they look like naked? It's, like, slowly kind of, you know, the reveal. Well, also, the initial attraction is one that is in person and physical. That alone has more currency than yeah. a dick pic. I hate dick pics. I think they're so boring. Yeah, and they are kind of be, like, gross, too. It's,
1: like, you don't ever see a dick that way, usually. Like, if you're not, like looking with a flashlight at somebody's dick with this bright light, you know. (laughs) When I have hooked up from apps, which hasn't been in a really long time, like, I tried it out, like, when that first came out. It just feels like most of the time I would show up with this person and kind of have to force myself to like them in a way that I would have figured out if we were just talking in person. Like, I would have realized that we didn't have the chemistry and then just, like, been like, this isn't worth it, you know. But you kind of have to just make believe sometimes. And I, I mean, sometimes you get lucky, but I feel like it's more often than not that, that the chemistry is just not there in that way that would have been if it had been in person all along, you know. But and on the opposite end of that spectrum, like you can really hit it off with somebody in person, and then like realize you just hate their dick or something, you know. <laughs> but there's a lot of beautiful dicks, more 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 than ugly dicks. What what's a beautiful dick? Um, I like, I definitely like girth instead of length in most sticks. I think like a fat, girthy, not too long, but like long enough, like maybe six or so inches and thick is <laughs> good. At first I felt like I was pretty selfish. I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of kids probably go through the same process of like just wanting to get off and like not really thinking about how that's interacting with the person. I would just say to think about the other person more and realize that they're feeling yeah. things too. Um, so I would yeah, just say like to be more considerate <laughs> or to understand the feelings of the other people.
0: When When did you think you learned that lesson?
1: I think with my first boyfriend or probably when I like bottomed for the first time. Cause that's mostly about like dealing with the situation of like not pain, but like trying to get through
0: the act. Yeah. yeah like, like when you're a bottom you and you are with an inexperienced top, yeah. that is not pretty. No. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like when you first understand how somebody can do it so wrong and how much that hurts and it's terrible, like you never want to do that to anybody else.
2: Yeah.
0: Unless you're a sociopath, yeah, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah. That's a really good point. I think the first five years I was out in undergrad, and I really did not perform the whole menu. I just don't think I really knew how to do it, and I had a lot of lousy teachers, so I was kind of afraid of it in a way.
1: Yeah, and I think
0: when you encounter people that are good at something, you really
1: like pick up on it and like understand how something can be done and how great that is. And like, there's a guy that I was messing around with, like after my first boyfriend that gave the most amazing blowjobs, probably still like the best blowjobs I've ever seen or experienced. And he just had this like very particular technique. And I just like use that same technique now to this day. It's just like, Something that
0: he gave to me. You know? What's the technique? I gotta know. <laughs>
1: uh, I mean, it's hard to describe, but it's like just kind of like using your entire mouth and like your tongue to like press against the dick. And it's like creating this like sort of sensation. Almost like a vacuum. Yeah. And his entire sexuality was blowjobs. Like that's all he liked to do. Just giving them. And that was, like, his favorite thing. Like, he needed it. Like, it was something that he required in life, you know? Mm -hmm. And so he just had this, like, veracity about it. Yeah, just using his entire mouth and all the muscles and, like, sort of, like, pushing his tongue, like, his big muscular tongue against your dick and, like, just creating, like, all this different sensation that's not just, like, sucking your, like, in and out. It's, like, creating this, like, weird (laughs) dance. (laughs) And again, it's hard to describe, but like getting a blowjob from this person over and over again, you like kind of realize what they were doing, and I have done the same thing ever since. Mm -hmm. I think the gay rights movement in general. I hope people don't stop at this wall that is marriage equality, because that seems to have been a destination for a lot of people, and for me, marriage is like the least of my concerns. It's. It's just total acceptance in general of queerness and queerness being like anything like the wildest, weirdest kinks or like polyamory or being with just yourself or 10 different people and being totally stoked about that and just people being okay with that. And I feel like marriage is a way to put queerness in a box that fits in like hetero culture very well, like to understand And I just think we need to push for, like, a broader understanding and not limit ourselves and not stop. I feel like it's kind of been winding down, and that's a little scary to me. I grew up in this really rural area that's, like, hyper-masculine, like cowboys and farmers. So I kind of was taught, like, what a man should be and how they should act, and I feel like I still inhabit that, and people don't see me as gay immediately like I have to come out every time I meet somebody basically which is frustrating so I try to flag that visually if I can like whether it's like a super gay shirt or like a rainbow patch or something like that like I just I don't want to be invisible with it and I think it's really easy to be invisible as a gay person You know, with race stuff, like as a black person, it's impossible to hide that you're black and there's all sorts of baggage associated with that, but with being gay, you can just turn it off and be invisible whenever you want. And I don't want that. A lot of trans dudes end up being bears because testosterone makes you gain weight and grow body hair and lose the hair on your head. So. A lot of trans guys that I've met are in the bear community and there's like a lot of misogyny in the bear community. Like anything that isn't a dick is like gross, you know. Though I love the bear community, it's maybe the most like toxic masculinity area there can be because it's just about like this, they built their own Adonis as like this really hyper masculine impossible figure that's like silicone injections and all sorts of like disgusting stuff. And that's, that's great if you want to do that, but just to push that on everybody and to expect that of everybody leads to a lot of sadness and so I hope that people can get over that and just think about attraction as like a more broad thing.
2: Fruit Bowl interviews are edited for clarity and brevity and are approved by each interviewee before being released. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com where you can learn more about this episode, browse the episode archive, and watch original videos. Help support Fruit Bowl's efforts to collect, archive, and share personal stories about queer coming of age by making a small monthly donation through Fruit Bowl's Patreon membership. Patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and occasional bonus content. Fruit Bowl collects histories from all different backgrounds and experiences. Cisgender women, trans and genderqueer individuals, Black people, Indigenous people, and people of color. It's only by collecting diverse stories that we can begin to see what unites us. Interested in sharing your story? Find out more about the interview process, including a full list of questions, a description of the collaborative interview process, contact information and news about future production. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com for links and contact information. Fruit is created, produced, and edited by Dave Quantic. I'm Syra B. This has been a production of cubed media, LLC, all rights reserved. Thanks for listening.